Hey everyone, you're listening to On the House with Spartan, an ad-free podcast brought to you by a full-service turnkey company. I'm your host, Lindsay Davis, CEO and co-founder of Spartan Invest. On this show, we talk about all things real estate, from market patterns, industry insight, construction, property management, and other investment avenues. We hope you'll join as we dive into today's episode of On the House with Spartan. All right, welcome back to another episode of On the House with Spartan Invest. And I'm very excited about this particular episode. I'm actually not going to be your host. Uh, I have welcomed Maureen McCann. And if you guys remember, so she was on one of our very first episodes. She's also co-founder and leads the sales department at Spartan Invest. And she's been in the real estate industry for 20 years. She's back on today and she's actually going to be hosting this episode. Welcome, Maureen. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm kind of a big deal around here, so it's nice to be on the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. And our special guest, so she's going to be um, interviewing Stephanie Riley, and we are really excited to, to have her on today. She also has been in the real estate industry for 20 years. She actually purchased her first rental property at 19 years old. Man, I, if I could go back and start that that young, that's amazing. Uh, she continued investing in real estate all through the recession and really diversified her portfolio. And now she currently leads uh, the equity strategies team at USA Mortgage. And uh, she works with investors, helping them build their real estate portfolios and, and accumulation of wealth. Uh, she's joining us today from Arizona, where she lives with her husband and seven, that's right, seven children. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, Maureen and I have had some fabulous off-mic conversations, and I am so excited to be here and able to share with your audience. You guys are amazing. Well, we are really excited, and Maureen has shared a uh, several insights from y'all's conversations. And yes, I'm sorry, you guys can tell y'all, right? Y'all. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to step out and let Maureen be the host so you guys don't have to hear the the country twang uh, for this episode. But no, we're very excited. She just shared, she talks uh, a lot about all of the helpful insights, especially during this this kind of economy and, and all of the changes that we've seen. So I'm, I'm really excited about it, but I am going to uh, mute myself and turn the host mic over to Miss Maureen. Thank you, Miss Lindsay. Oh, Stephanie, I, you know, if we could have recorded our first conversation that we've ever had, I mean, that would, it was just so brilliant, but it was the impetus for us wanting to bring you on the house here with Spartan Invest because that conversation that we had off mic, it was just so valuable. I was so impressed with just how well-rounded and knowledgeable you are. So um, let's take, let's talk all things, let's take all the buzzwords right now, recession, interest rates, inflation, right? So these are like the three big buzzwords that are happening right now. And I have to say like um, the the two biggest drivers right now in the housing market are higher mortgage interest rates, which I know you know about. And number two, the inventory is really tight. So right now, in my opinion, this is one of the greatest opportunities for us to create wealth and to help investors do the same. And every opportunity is born from 
adversity. So this is the opportunity investors have been wanting and waiting for. We just have to paint the picture for them. So let's start off with what drives mortgage interest rates? Well, it's a a good question and there's a lot to it. So I think it's important to understand where the money is coming from to make the mortgages. And that's coming from the mortgage-backed securities on the secondary market. And so what happens is when you get a mortgage, it's packaged up and sold on the secondary market. And there's investors that are coming in and they're not buying real estate. They're buying those notes, those papers. And what they want is a stream of monthly cash flow, just like you want when you buy real estate or equity gains, capital gains, because that note became more valuable. And so what impacts that is a lot of things. One, we another buzzword, right? The Fed. The Fed's been raising rates and that's their cost of borrowing. So as their costs go up, they want to make a profit margin. So naturally they're going to pass that on to the um, to the borrower who's going to then pay those higher interest rates. But there's not really, uh, even though they, they impact each other, that's not really the direct correlation. Uh, Just like real estate, a lot of the value of these bonds and therefore its yields are based on comps. So when we look at mortgage-backed security bond comps, we have to compare that to other, quote, risk-free investments. And the closest correlation to that would be the 10-year treasury. And so oftentimes, mortgage rates will track with the 10-year treasury because that's sort of the other comp, comparative, if you will, for a note investor that can get a risk-free yield on that. So that, and even so much as recently, like we've seen global uh, 10-year bonds uh, change in pricing drastically, and that will affect our 10-year bonds here in the United States and our mortgage rates here in the United States because bond investors are investing globally. So there's lots of things that impact it. But from where we've come from, inflation has a huge impact on mortgage rates. Because again, if I'm an investor investing for a stream of monthly cash flow, if I'm going to tie up that capital for 10 years, and yet inflation is running at 7 8%, if my yield on that bond is only 5%, then I'm losing 3% on that investment. Why in the world, when inflation's running hot, would a bond investor come in and buy at a rate below inflation? It doesn't make any sense. And what's happened leading up to where we are today is those interest rates have been artificially suppressed. And what's happened is the bond market is was no longer investing in those mortgage-backed securities for the sake of yield because the real yield was negative on those. They were investing because they could flip it to the Fed. They had guaranteed buyers that said they would step in and buy those mortgage-backed securities. So now the bond purchaser doesn't care really what the yield is because they're not holding it. They're just immediately selling that bond to the Fed and they've got a buyer saying, we're guaranteeing we're going to step in and buy so much you know, in the market. And so we've had that suppression of where natural mortgage rates should be based on inflation happening. And then in November of 2021, the Fed announced they were going to taper, right? They're going to cut back 
on those purchases. Well, just like in real estate supply and demand, if you're going to cut back demand drastically, immediately what we saw is kind of this falling off of a cliff in terms of bond prices. And as bond prices go down, just like real estate prices go down, cap rates go up, as bond prices go down, yields or interest rates go up. And so we've seen a steady, steep trajectory. I mean, over the last year, we're talking nearly triple, you know, triple. So it's not only a, a, I went back and I looked at the, the uh, other, you know, when interest rates got to like 18% in the seventies from where they started from, even though the, the actual number difference that they started and what they went to was, was larger than our spread today, the rate at the pace at which they went wasn't even close. You know, they they're climbing up, but we're we're tripling. You know, when they're small, if you're starting at two percent, a one percent move is a thirty-three percent jump. And so our jump is just huge right now. So as far as what impacts interest rates, those are a lot of things. You know, liquidity is the secondary market being ready to purchase these bonds. Well, you've got the Fed that stepped out. What about the rest of the market? Well, if they held, remember, bond prices and bond yields are inverse in relationship. So let's say you're holding a $90,000 bond and it's yielding uh, 2%. And all of a sudden, today's going interest rates are 6%. In order to sell that bond, you've got to discount it from 90 grand down to 30 grand in order to compete in the marketplace. So you took a 67% loss on those bond holdings. It's worse (laughs) because the bond market is leveraged to the hilt. So that bond was pledged as collateral to borrow and then buy more bonds, pledged as collateral to borrow and then buy more bonds. So it's just this whole house of cards. And when interest rates climb this fast, bond prices collapse, remember that 90,000 to 30,000, and liquidity, the availability of capital to invest, starts disappearing. And so you've got um, all of these factors right now. It's not just one thing, but it's all of these factors driving these interest rates up right now. Yeah, much more complicated than than we would all think, right? So I think you did such a really good job there explaining the multiple variables that affect mortgage interest rates. So let's talk a little bit about inflation and how um, inflation affects mortgage rates. Because I know I shared this video with you. Not sure if you watched it by Mary Habib. <laughs> But I love the chart that he had in there, which really, it was over the last 60 years. And it showed that as uh, basically mortgage interest rates, they followed inflation. So as inflation was low, mortgage interest rates were low. As inflation rose, mortgage interest rates uh, had risen. And so what are you seeing now and what do you forecast as far as what inflation is doing and how it relates to mortgage interest rates. Well, that's exactly right. You know, inflation is is a huge 
you know, indicator, as we talked about, as as far as where interest rates are going to go. On a day-to-day basis in the fluctuations, a lot of it is inflation expectations. So the market kind of prices in what they think inflation is going to be. And then if we get a big surprise, oh, the CPI print came out higher than expected, rates adjust quickly up. If the expectation was for a high print and then the actual reality came out a little bit lower, rates would actually respond favorably. We've seen CPI reports come out just about right in line with expectations, very little movement in the in the mortgage rates. So a lot of it on a, on a day-to-day or month-to-month basis is really based on those inflation expectations. But I do have a slide actually about what has happened in former periods during the um, during inflation. So here's this slide that shows what's happened as in response to inflation uh, in mortgage rates. So if we look back to 1970 to 1987, we saw a huge spike in inflation there from 7 to 14 percent. Mortgage rates followed suit, right? Because they're going to track with inflation, 12 up to 18%. The Fed, in an attempt to control inflation, rose the Fed fund rate up to 20%. What happened to inflation as a response? They brought inflation back down and mortgage rates came back down. So you can see that pattern. And then again, when Alan Greenspan was Fed chair from 1987 to 2006, we had a spike in inflation. Now, again, as I pointed out, the numbers, you know, it's not 7%, but percentage of growth is still high, more than uh, going from 1.75 to 3.5. And then mortgage rates rose. Fed stepped in, rose the Fed funds rate to get control of inflation. They succeeded. Mortgage rates came back down. Now, here we are, Jerome Powell, we've got inflation in June. The CPI print came out at 9.1%. That was kind of our highest print. Mortgage rates have nearly nearly tripled. And the Fed's funds rate, as of today, hovering around 3.83%. So there's that big climb. And June was the 9.1% print year over year in October, 7.7. Now, it remains to be seen uh, if that continues, but if they're able to, as they have in the past, get control of that inflation, then mortgage rates should respond accordingly. And again, I looked up the S&P, you know, everything's almost playing out textbook. Yes. So this is, I mean, I love this chart. And for those of you that are just tuning in, listening, you'll be able to see, view this on YouTube. But what is uh, so very, very clear to me, Stephanie, and you you really uh, laid it out brilliantly, and I've seen it on other charts as well from other speakers that I've been listening into, is that this really is textbook. We are just following along exactly what happens in these types of cycles. And, I, and one of the biggest questions is, what are going to happen to interest mortgage interest rates? When are they coming down? Everyone's waiting for the pivot. And I really think that it is it if you are aware of these indicators like CPI or core CPI, um, when you start seeing those come down, 
then the expectation is, is that mortgage interest rates will follow. Now, the, the challenging part is with the Fed is they're always looking in the rearview mirror. They're looking 12 months behind and all of the rate hikes that have uh, transpired in a very short period of time. They were very steep, very rapid in a very short period of time. They have not had enough time to work their way through the economy yet. So we can look at some of these indicators to go, are we seeing some easing on the on the CPI? And we are, right? So at some point in the future, we know interest rates go up, they'll come back down. They will come back down. And when they do, I'm going to tell you this, mark my words, is this, is you've got we already have tight inventory. And if people are wanting to debate this, it's like we can look at from 2007, we had 4 million units available in inventory. Today, we've got 1.25 million units, but that is with uh, uh, properties under contract. If you extrapolate, if you take those out and subtract those under contract properties out, we're at 782,000 um, units in inventory for a population of 334 million people in the United States. We are in a housing shortage. We're vastly undersupplied. And when those interest rates drop, guess what's going to happen? You, my friend, Stephanie, are going to be one very busy girl because everyone's going to rush back into the market. They're going to, they're looking at 7% and going 5% looks really sexy right now. And we're going to buy as much as we possibly can. So what can investors do now at this point to set themselves up? to capitalize now versus waiting for the rush. And then we're just- Well, and that's the thing is it's it's like with all the knowledge and information that's out there, people start to see these things coming. And to your point, if you wait too long, then you're in competition with a lot of big money that's been getting in position for- this moment. So um, I definitely think it, one, of, one of the things that people hesitate to jump in and purchase real estate is I think we have this tendency to think of wealth in terms of dollars as opposed to real assets. Currencies are absolutely crashing, falling off a cliff. That's what inflation is, the purchasing power of that dollar not buying anything. <laughs> you know, it's just just deteriorating. Right. The same $2,000 today cannot buy the same $2,000 no. it bought two months ago, right? It's no. Just, you're losing buying power. Right. And so if you're trying to store your purchasing power in an inflationary economy, it's just slipping through your fingertips. Now, at the same time, if they try to patch this bond market collapsing, uh, even recession, it, they, they might raise interest rates to try to get inflation under control, but there is going to be so much extreme pain. And if you thought stimmy checks were a big deal, just wait, Right. And then what happens? Then what happens when they step in and they start sending money at pension funds and sending money at this and student loans and all these things? And what happens is as that in, as that, that funding works its way in, it's going to puddle up in places where people 
need things the most. And there's really (laughs) food and housing are really high on the list. And so, um, you know, I think if you're playing the odds of like, well, I'm going to wait and see if this recession and mortgage rates cause this huge crash in housing, and then I'll snap up something then versus just taking a long-term approach and knowing we are absolutely 100% in an inflationary economy. That's their mandate is to keep inflation going. And so any mo- any chance you get that you can step in and peg your family's future to real assets instead of a failing currency, do it and stack up those real things that will be a beneficiary. And I don't care if your tenants pay for that in dollars, in gold and silver, Bitcoin, in Bitcoin <laughs> and some CBDC. I don't care what they pay you rent in. There will always be an economy. People will always trade. People will always need a roof over their head, food, services from each other. That's not going away. And so if you can kind of separate in your mind all the volatility that's going on in financial markets and not let that freak you out that, oh, I shouldn't be buying right now. The world's coming to an end. But set your your focus on the fact that if you've got a asset that, another tangent, cost of replacing it, right? How is it, how are you going to build... How are you going to build a house at today's pricing? Talk about an inventory problem. And who's going to sell when they're hold, they've got a 2% rate? There's another inventory problem. And in 08, outside of inventory being an issue then, and rates drastically not having that kind of variance, but in 2008, uh, I don't have the chart handy, but we were so over-levered. Household mortgages compared to household equity, we were we were as a nation upside down. We're not the there today. today. We're the opposite today. Opposite. <laughs> exactly. Well, on top of the fact that then that upside down was being funded with subprime lending, and today we've got very strict underwriting guides. So I think it's a while. While I definitely think. All the things we talked about with the financial markets, the instability in the bond market, the lack of liquidity, you know, those things going on, the recession, unemployment, those things, yes. But in real estate, I think real estate may very well be a safe haven. And up until this point, it's almost been this safe haven that we as mom and pop investors have gotten to kind of keep for ourselves. And yet that's changing. You know, the Fed stepped in in the mortgage-backed securities market and messed things up for us in housing. You know, they had already done that in Wall Street, creating these hyper bubbles. Well, now they're stepping into Main Street and doing the same thing. But now that they've messed up their sandbox, they're looking for a place for yield. And so to your point, Maureen, if you wait... How are you going to compete with a Wall Street hedge fund? <laughs> That's so funny that you say that because I just read it was it was uh, in an article yesterday. J.P. Morgan aims to acquire one billion in single-family rental properties, starting in the Atlanta market with Haven Home Builders. And oh I'm my thinking, gosh, I didn't see that, but oh. yeah. 
No. Case in point. <laughs> yes, case in point. So it's like, you know, if you're thinking I'm going to sit on the sidelines and take the wait and see approach, now guess what? You are going to be competing with billions of dollars from huge companies like a very notable JP Morgan Chase. And ask yourself this if you guys are investors, real real estate investors. Ask yourself this. Why is somebody like a JP Morgan Chase betting on the housing market by billions of dollars. What do they know Mm -hmm. that you should know if you Mm -hmm. don't know already, right? Exactly. (laughs) So don't don't let the temporary higher interest rate market at the moment scare you to the sidelines and marginalize you from the ability to build the wealth that you and you that you want for your family because guess what you play the 30 you, you play the fixed mortgage interest rate payment at whatever six and a half seven percent right now and guess what when the market turns you've already you're already holding the hard asset that is increasing in value that's producing cash flow maybe not as much as you want today because as the interest rates are a little bit higher it squeezes that cash flow but you still get the equity accrual that someone else is paying you for you get the tax benefits of depreciation and you can defer the capital gains through a 1031 exchange there's no limit on the amount that you can do that so you can keep your you can keep and preserve your wealth inside and it's a phenomenal not even a hedge but it we already know inflation as it rises so do home values and rents. So, you know, you're just wasting time by, by, I guess, arguing in your own mind over, well, I'm going to wait until it comes down to 3% again. I don't know if we're there, right? We're at seven now, get it in at seven, six and a half, lock it in for 30 years. And a lot of these bond markets, I was reading this, and maybe you can give me some insight on this because I, I think you understand the bond market better than I do. But even these bond buyers, they know that, when the, that these loans that are being written today, they are not going to be held for five years. They'll be lucky if they're held for two years or one year because the refinance is going to happen and they'll lose money out on that. So they know that it is lock in now, refinance, reset the clock, get a lower rate, improve your cash flow, but still building your asset and your net, your assets <laughs> and right. your net worth. <laughs> yes. So you were just saying about the um, the lenders and the ch- the turning over of the mortgage. So we are seeing the increase in the upfront points they want because they don't have time to recoup their their yield with those interest rates over time, and so they want more money upfront because they don't think you're going to hold the loan that long. That's telling about where interest rates are going, and then the, the inversion of the ten year and the two year. Well, 10-year and one-year. I looked up this morning. The 10-year was, I want to say, in it, the 10-year the was 3.81 or something. I, I looked, it was like 3.813 or something like that. It was, it was a 3.8. Yes. Um, and the one-year was substantially uh, higher. It was 4.69, I want to say. So if you're going to lock your money up, for 10 years and get a lower yield by a full percentage than just risking your money for one year, why in the world would you do that? Because you know 
that that 10-year note you're holding is going to be worth so much more. Remember the 90,000, let's say it's a $100,000 note and it's yielding 4% and interest rates dropped to two. Well, now your note just became worth not 100,000, but 200,000. And so it's a capital gains play there and very, to your point, indicative of where the market see interest rates going in the future. Brilliant. I mean, it's just brilliant. I, I, this is why I love talking with you because there are some things that I really just don't get, but you have such a firm grasp on it. Like I get little snippets here and there from people that I'm listening to and I'm like, Stephanie, put it all together for me. Come on, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Which you do so well. Um, okay. So I know we've, we've actually talked about a few of these other questions that I've asked, but let's go... Um, what advice would you give investors looking for their next investment property in today's economy? What would you tell them to do? Because you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of them sitting on the sideline, going, "I'm going to take the wait and see approach." I think, yeah, I think that getting harvesting equity while it's high is always a good idea. Constantly doing that so that you have that capital to reinvest. I think that in today's um, economy, and, and a lot of seasoned investors are doing this. So the what I see with the newer beginning investors is, is they're upset that returns they're seeing at higher mortgage rates are so bad because they're not getting 20% appreciation and 3% mortgage rates. So they're just going to wait for better returns. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That's what you see with the newer investors, or they're just ignorant of what's going on macroeconomically. And they're just like lever to the hilt. I don't care because my, you know, $500,000 property is going to be worth 700,000 next year, you know, in a, in a high appreciating marketplace. So that's kind of one category of people. But then what the more seasoned investors are doing and I see is they're shifting their focus. They're they're forecasting the recession. They're shifting their focus away from the high risk, high reward, high equity growth markets. California, Seattle, you know, I wouldn't even say New York because that's 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 been gone. But you know, they're shifting out of these markets and they're they're moving into well they're following JP Morgan <laughs> they're moving <laughs> into markets that are steady as she goes in terms of cash flow and affordability because if you're if you're if you're forecasting recession you've got to think my income is made by the tenants paying that rent and if my tenants are getting squeezed uh, that's not good for my outlook on the durability and growth of my cash flow. So if you can find markets where affordability is better than other markets, that's a huge win because that in a recession, you think the wave we've been having right now, we'll just wait till further hurt comes, right? More people are going to be moving out of expensive areas to more affordable areas. And so being in markets that are affordable, you look at the strong dollar, 
Well, if I'm a business owner and I've got a strong dollar relative to other currencies, I'm not talking strong dollar purchasing power (laughs) relative to other currencies, then I'm going to purchase labor overseas if I can, because I'm going to get more bang for my buck. So be looking at markets where labor is not easily exported offshore would be something that is so, so you're you're looking for you're you're it's not these investors are not getting out of real estate just like JP Morgan they see it as the last man standing in terms of safe haven yeah. <laughs> but they're positioning accordingly to what could be coming so they're not risk on but they're stabilizing their cash flows in affordable markets where they know they can go in and they can still take advantage of leverage and 30-year fixed rates, to your point, Maureen, they can peg that debt, let inflation erode it. They can do all that, but they're not running negative cash flows when they do because they're in markets that have a better yield. And even on the, on the asset price, you know, if you're in an affordable market, not only can do the local incomes have enough strengths to support the rents and rising rents under pressure, but also the local buyers have better, you know, the values have better buoyancy when the buyers can afford the higher rates and still get in. Yeah. And that makes sense because we, you know, we're looking at, um, you talk about uh, migration, right? And sort of migration trends of like money coming out of certain markets like California and going into more affordable markets, say like Alabama, Tennessee, um, Carolinas, Um, you know, rent.com recently did an article, published an article just about two months ago. And it was, they looked at the in-net migration um, of population growth in specific areas and Huntsville, Athens, Decatur, and Alabama was the number one on the market on the on the list. And it's because of the affordability, because you've got growth, you've got population growth, you've got housing needs that exceed the supply that's currently there in the market. So how I see it really is that landlords today, real estate investors today, you're really only positioning yourselves and setting yourselves up very well for the future because. The housing deficit that we see ourselves in now, and some economists will say it's 2 million, some other economists will say it's 6 million. Let's just all agree it's a big number, right? So there's just not enough housing now, and prices are set by supply and demand. Um, There's still very, very high demand. You've got 66 million millennials who are entering their first time home buying years, and um, they are forming new households. And so when you form new households, you need a place to live. And so you know, you've got builders that are just their sentiment is down at the moment. They they they've complete. They have to sell what they've already completed. They've got to finish what they've started. What they have under permitting, they're not even starting right now because they want to see the interest rates drop so they feel that they can move the inventory. So their productivity has gone down. And what we find ourselves in, Stephanie, is we already have a housing gap. That's pretty substantial at the moment. So the supply is very low, but you've got this wave of millennials, first time home buyers usually start buying in their thirties, who is it's, it's here and it's coming. But then you've got, you, you couple that with builder sentiment, their production is, 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 uh, 
lessening, it's lower, it's only widening the housing gap. So you as a real estate investor today, right, you're buying a single family home that you can rent out for years and collect not only on the cash flow, the appreciation, the depreciation, um, the uh, equity accrual and the hedge against inflation. You seriously today are positioning yourself so much better because when we're, I guess, on the other side of this, right? Mm-hmm. Now you just have people that need a place to live. They can't afford to buy and you are the hero for them. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's it's sad in that this transition from home ownership to a renter nation, and it's really, you know, the Fed causing this massive wealth gap with their policies of, of you know, printing money and then choosing who's beneficiaries. And, and so you create this, you know, when there's an asset bubble, okay, all the stock investors got super wealthy, but what happened to Main Street, right? And so anyway, so this wealth gap, I don't see it stopping anytime soon, sadly. And unfortunately, I think it's just picking up even more steam. And so as a landlord, you know, you get to be the beneficiary of that demand to have a roof over your head. And if you can't afford to buy you're going to rent. And so we do. And and historically, um, you may have data points more on the rents because of what you do. But historically, I've seen a lot of charts too, uh, just even during periods where real estate starts to slow down, rents are just steady as she goes. Yeah. I mean, think about this. Anyone that's ever rented before has a landlord ever come to you, knocked on your door and said, hey, we're reducing your rent today. Never. It always goes up. Right. Sometimes in the last 24, 36 months, it's gone up exponentially. That probably won't continue, but it's still going to incrementally year over year continue to rise. And so, you know, we find ourselves in, you know, be the landlord, be in that position, hold the hold the property and let the tenant do all the the the, uh, the payoff for you. And, you know, something that I heard and I totally subscribe to is that wealth is not lost. It's simply just transferred. So be on the side where the money is being transferred to you because you are the real estate investor who is smart enough to take the action and and ignore all the attention grabbing headlines because that stuff just is going to derail you and put you over here in a little box with the other 99% of inaction takers, right? Don't be a sheeple. You know, I love what Warren Buffett said, you know, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. People are so fearful right now that this is the time to be greedy, regardless of what the interest rates are. Because like he said that too, you know, you lock into 30, 30 year fixed mortgage payment. If the interest rates go up, you're safe. If they come down, you refinance, you win either way. Right. Right. So exactly. It's so true. (laughs) You know, the interest rate is a temporary thing. You know, you can change that. So you have been, so you are like, I just love talking to you, honestly, like you are, you just bring so much value to the conversation. Um, and I just, how can we learn more about you? How can we get a hold of you at USA Mortgage? Tell me, tell our, our, our yeah. listeners who Stephanie Riley is and how to get a hold of you. <laughs> so not too often, so I don't bombard anybody, but I put out a newsletter from time to time that's what I see macroeconomically, what's going on in the mortgage market, 
it's all real estate investors. My clients are all real estate investors. And then strategies to navigate, practical tips on how to get the most out of what you have to work with. And so if your listeners and audience want to get on that newsletter, you can email us at info at equitystrategiesteam.com. And we'll just let us know you want to subscribe to the newsletter and we'll make sure that you um, you get that. And then if you go to our website at equitystrategiesteam.com, you can learn about us there and you can schedule a strategy session. So what that is, is kind of what you said, Maureen, taking that holistic approach of it's not just the real estate, but marrying it to your financial strategy, including your tax strategy. And like you were saying, the depreciation and the write-offs and all those other things. And looking at it holistically at the rest of your portfolio, because oftentimes we'll find people have cash flow and sources of capital that they didn't even realize they had. And if we just give them some ideas of how to reposition things, they can free up cash flow, free up capital to invest and get more out of what they're working with. So that's a personal strategy session, and you can book that on the website. Or for first-time investors, um, we do a borrowing power analysis where we basically meet with you and talk through what's possible. You know, what can you qualify for? Well, I love that because I have sent several clients to you and the reviews that I've gotten have been nothing short of raving because, you know, it's it, you're not the typical lender because you are a strategist. You do find ways to find additional capital for them to in, to use that capital and maximize it so that they can um, reach their financial goals as well as, you know, create the financial legacy that they want for their family. So you guys look at the newsletter, sign up. She's amazing. Hopefully you can see why I wanted to, we wanted to have her on, uh, on the house with Spartan Invest because the gal is sharp. So Lindsay, I'm going to bring it back to you to bring us home, lady. All right. Thank you. And I'm telling you for, for all of the listeners, uh, if you did listen to this and did not watch any of the video clips on YouTube, then you missed me as a bobblehead because all I did was like shake my head like, yes, yes, yes. This is all, I mean, it's such, such good information. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I really appreciate it. We were talking a lot prior to the episode on exactly what to title this episode. And I, I got to tell you, you gave me lots of ideas. I'm over here scribbling. Um, you know, I, the, the, the real asset versus uh, versus a failing currency. I, I love that. That's, no, I love that. Very accurate. And I did mm-hmm. see the JP Morgan investing in single family rentals. And my first instinct was, you know what? No, not if we get them first. I mean, that's that's where I yeah, am. I'm like, I'm going to go out, you know, we need to buy them before and offer them to the investor, offer them to the average investor that Spartan Invest targets because those hedge funds, those large buyers, you're absolutely right. They are going to put all of their money in the safe haven of real estate and 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 we we want to beat them to it. And that's that's another reason why we we build new construction homes to to combat that as well. So we can still offer these these investors that want to genuinely, you know, have a better retirement, see some passive income, you know, get that that uh, appreciation and all of the things that we all know that are benefits to real estate. 
being able to offer that to them. So I, I just really appreciate um, you coming on today and, and talking. And Maureen, thanks for taking the reins on on hosting. I really appreciate it. It was great to just sit back and, and listen and, like I said, be a, a bobblehead and be like, yeah, that's r- that's right. So I, I really appreciate it. Stephanie, Maureen, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Maureen. Great having you, Stephanie. Thanks, Lindsay. All right, guys, that is On the House with Spartan Invest. Thank you guys for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to learn more, check us out online at SpartanInvest.com. Until next time, this is On the House with Spartan.